Hello, Eucharist and friends. It's uh, Kevin here, one of the pastors at Eucharist, along with... Nina. Hi, I'm an intern here right now. You probably heard her preach on the Eucharist Church podcast before. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got some stuff coming up this week we wanted to announce, uh, but also to say this week's sermon is, is a doozy. Jill preached. Yeah. Which it's... she doesn't do very often. Mm-hmm. And it was good. It was good. It was, it was the spirit through her. So yeah, uh, I hope you uh, listen to this week's podcast if you weren't there in person or if you want to re-listen because it's uh, it's a real good word from a, a real good woman. Just a good woman. Just a, just a damn fine woman. I don't know if I can swear in the intro to this podcast. Uh, here we but are. I did. Uh, so <laughs> announcements. We got a couple things we wanted to to throw out to everybody. Uh, upcoming weekend. It's Holy Week. Nina, what, what's going on this weekend? It's Holy Week on Friday. Friday evening, we are having a wake. For a righteous man, Jesus, you may know him. Yes. Um, we're going to be celebrating his life and mourning the loss of um, our dear friend, mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, doors will open at 7.30, and then at 8, we'll start um, a time of uh, eulogy and sharing and monologues, and it's going to be a really good time. I've never been to a wake before, so I'm really looking forward to it. No, you only did the one. Zoom wake. Which I, was great, yeah. but not the same. Not the same. It's never the same. No. So this will be good. It'll be good. It so, will be Zoomed, though, for anyone listening. Yes. True. True. It'll be on our live stream. On That's on the website if you want to watch on Zoom. For those who are coming in person, you can bring food and a beverage, um, and we'll um, have a nice evening together. Yeah. Also want to let people know, if you could dress in black, that would be great. Right. And uh, bring, yeah, anything, food or drink that you want to share. But we love it if people dress in black so we get that real wake vibe. It's a funeral. Yeah. Um, Easter Sunday, um, we're having a service and you're welcome to join us. We're going to celebrate Jesus's subsequent resurrection. And, spoilers. Um, <laughs> spoilers. Sorry. No, they should know. They <laughs> if they haven't heard by now, they should know. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead, guys. So we can celebrate that together. Great. Uh, then wanted to just give a couple of updates. All of this is on the website, so go to eucharistchurch.ca if you need any more context. Um, but in Eastertide, the season after Easter, we're going to be doing a couple of interesting ways to gather. One of those will be Sundays after church. We'll have a time for people to eat lunch together. So um, for the first four weeks at least after Easter, you could bring some lunch, bring some snacks, whatever. You could pop out, grab a slice of pizza or some food and come back. We'll have people just eating and hanging together at the building. And following that, we're going to do some classes uh, on exploring prayer, some stuff that I've been learning and others in Eucharist have been um, learning about prayer. So we're going to have a time to not just talk about that, but actually to pray together using some of these contemplative and meditative methods. So feel free to come out to that if that sounds interesting. It'll be a great way to meet some new people as well if you're newer to Eucharist. And then also we'll be doing some classes in May. Every other week we'll be doing for three uh, over three classes that we're calling Recollecting Eucharist. And it's going to be a chance to if you're new to Eucharist, a great chance to hear more about our church, understand some of the stories so far and how we got here. But if you've been a part of Eucharist for a while, um, we would love to have you there as well, because we really see this as a new season that we're stepping into. And part of these classes will be times of discernment and discussion to see where the Spirit's leading us. So please, if you can, go to the website, check out those dates and set aside a save the date on those evenings if you can make it so that we can spend some time together stepping into and preparing to step into this new season we're in. All right, that's it from us. Enjoy the sermon. Grace and peace. Bye.
Good morning. Ooh, that's loud. <laughs> um, as Kev said, this morning is Palm Sunday um, and the beginning of Holy Week. And if you grew up in an evangelical um, community, you probably couldn't care less. But we have taken to celebrating or acknowledging Lent and Holy Week, and so we're going to do that as well today. Um, this is the week where we will remember the death of Jesus on the cross and the miracle of his resurrection. And maybe you have traveled through Lent, which is 40 days, um, doing the things that you're supposed to do in Lent with an eye to waiting and fasting um, and contemplation and sacrifice in some way. Or maybe you've celebrated Lent by winning Roll Up the Rim, which is Tim Horton's response to the fact that people stopped drinking coffee in Lent. Or maybe Lent was hard this year, and you look around and wonder if God has peaced out, and you wonder just where he is in a world that's full of death and sickness and war and anger and anxiety. But let's face it. We are a, a people who have a hard time putting our feet to the fire. 40 days is a long time. And I, one of the commitments that I made this year was to follow a devotional, on a da uh, Lent devotional on a daily basis, but I have had a whole bunch of days where I was reading three or four days in a row. So maybe today we get a chance to enter this week these next seven days ahead with just a slightly elevated attention to the story that we're remembering. It's pretty clear to most of us that the crowd who sits on Easter Sunday is quite different than the crowd that comes together on Good Friday, except here because we have a cool wake and it actually feels like kind of a party. But generally, we're a people who would rather go from one high point to the next and step over the sad bit in the middle. But today we're gonna to think about the sad bit in the middle. Because the sad bit in the middle is where the good news is. Jesus knew what was coming. On that Palm Sunday, as he comes into Jerusalem, he knows what's coming, the pain and the death, but more so, the betrayal and the abandonment, the doubt and the denial, and he did it anyways. Today we'll talk about Palm Sunday, but we do so with a view to the things that will have happened before we come together next Sunday. This is a story that as we hear it in hindsight, we'll have a lot of people with a lot to regret. So I was thinking about regret and the things that I regret, and some of them are big things. We have big things that we regret, a, a job I kept for too long, or being mean to a coworker. but maybe some of them are not so big. I, I was remembering how as a teenager I used to lie in the sun with a, with a funnel of tin foil over at my face, and every year when I go to the dermatologist, I have regret. <laughs> um, or the year that I thought that the pickup day for summer camp for my two children was Sunday instead of Saturday. And so I arrived an entire day late. The thing I did that one time, the promise that I didn't keep, we have regrets. But I think that what's interesting about the nature of regret is, is that somehow it's rooted in this idea that we think that we're different now. 
that were we in the same situation, knowing what we know now, we would make a better choice. <laughs> because we feel like we are better versions of ourselves now. And maybe that's true and maybe it's not. So the story of Palm Sunday is about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And it's one of the very few stories that are told in all four Gospels, and so we know that it's significant. And here's how the story goes, and this is a little bit of an amalgam of the four Gospels. As Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem, they come to a town. Jesus sends two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll return it soon. So the two disciples leave and find a colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they're untying it, some folks nearby say, what are you doing untying that colt? And they say what Jesus has told them to say, and they're allowed to take it. And then they bring the colt to Jesus and throw their jackets over it, and he sits on it. And the folks who are there take off their coats and lay them on the road ahead of him. And others spread leafy branches they've cut in the fields. Jesus in the center of the parade, and the people all around him shout, Hosanna, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, Hosanna, praise God in the highest heaven. And so there's a lot that we can learn from this entry into Jerusalem. This is when Jesus shows himself to be the fulfillment of the prophecy that a Messiah, a Savior, was coming. And this is the first time that he openly allows people to worship him, to recognize who he is. And it's interesting because we know that the crowds cry, Hosanna, which we often translate into praise God, blessings on him. But the original use of the word in the Old Testament means save us. Praise to you who will deliver us. This is a cry for deliverance. A demonstration of faith that this Jesus is the one who will save, who will deliver. And we also know that it's a story of paradoxes. Jesus comes in on a donkey, which is significant because a king would come in on a horse. And so it's this, this um, marking of the fact that God's kingdom isn't what we expect it to be. These people... Uh, calling Hosanna that day, expect that this is the beginning of something when really it's the end. They think that this is a celebration and really it's going to end badly. But today here's the thing about the story that I want us to think about. This is a celebration that went sideways. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Sunday and by next Friday he's dead. Seen with the value of hindsight, this is a downer of a story. This is watching the wedding video after the divorce. This is watching people dancing and celebrating on the Titanic. It starts really quickly to feel kind of sad and pathetic. And maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. By Tuesday, Judas, one of Jesus' best friends, takes a bribe to hand him over to be killed. 
Jesus goes to pray overnight and he asks his friends to come with him and they all fall asleep three times, even though he asked them to stay awake with him. Thursday, this same Judas hands Jesus over to his enemies and betrays him by kissing him. When he's arrested, it tells us that all the disciples deserted him and fled. Peter, we know one of his closest three friends, three friends, denies he knows him. When the judge asks the crowds, those people that have been waving branches, if they wanted Jesus' life spared, they told him to crucify him. These people are his friends, his supporters, people who have walked with him, been taught by him, watched his miracles, sat around fires in the night, talked to deep thoughts. These are his people, his closest, those that have his back. So to say nothing of everything else that happens to Jesus at the hand of his enemies, the behavior of his, of his friends is outrageous. If you've ever had a big disaster in your life, you know the feeling of being surprised by the people who sort of showed up for you, and then the people who sort of didn't show up for you. For Jesus, the defection is complete. Everyone drops him like a hot stone. And here's the thing. The events that were coming may have taken them by surprise, but they did not take Jesus by surprise. As he entered Jerusalem that day, he knew what was coming. Even before this, he had said to his disciples, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So he said that. So if they were listening, they knew. But whoever really listens to the advice that we don't really want to hear? Who listens to that prophetic word that says the investment is going to tank? Or that the relationship you're in isn't, is going to disappoint you? Or that those pants are too short and your ankles show? Try telling someone younger than you that you know something that they should know that would help them. Nope. No small wonder they hadn't heard that they didn't see what was really coming. And in fact, it's kind of an understatement to suggest that these events didn't catch Jesus by surprise. In fact, he provoked them. With this showy entrance into Jerusalem, he deliberately sets the ball rolling that will end by the end of the week and crush him under its weight. The crucifixion was not an accident that happened while he was in Jerusalem. Jesus understood, and he embraced his calling to undergo so excruciating a death. He deliberately triggered the events that would lead to his execution, and when his friend Peter, before they go to Jerusalem, tries to warn him that Jerusalem generally doesn't go well for prophets, Jesus actually says to him, get behind me, Satan. So whether or not this is, we don't know if this is knowledge that Jesus sort of had his whole life, that's a question, but certainly by now, he clearly understands himself to be the king, 
prophesied about in the Old Testament, and now he openly assumes this role in his entry into Jerusalem. Throughout the process, he signals he knows what's coming. He sends the disciples in to find that colt that we heard that story. He says, go look for a colt and it'll be tied up. And if they ask you, here's what you're going to answer. And then later on in the story, he tells the disciples the same sort of thing. He tells them to go out and find the upper room where he would have his final meal with his, his disciples. And I can only assume that these details are included to cue us to the fact that he knows. He knows what's coming and he knows the rest. He knows about Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial and the disciples deserting him, his arrest, beating, humiliation, and execution. So Jesus knew that Palm Sunday, that those people out there shouting Hosanna had no idea what they were doing. We need to remember this crowd that shouted Hosanna were not the good people that went and hid away in their houses as the crowd and the mean people came and called to crucify Jesus. It's the same people. It's the same people. And those people are just like us. It's easy to read the story and think that we, with our knowledge and our wisdom and our postmodern intellects and our understanding of reconciliation and mob mentality, might have done something different. But it's not very likely. And we see plenty happening in our world right now which would lead us to believe that we are still a bandwagon bunch. We too like to be part of the party, to hold our banners and our actions high when on the world stage. We like to join a parade. We like to sing loud and raise our hands, and so we should. Those are good things. That's worship. And God loves our worship. But we also need to acknowledge that we are part of the people at the end of this story, too. I know that I have betrayed Jesus for coins in my life. I have fallen asleep in his presence when he asked me to spend time with him. And maybe that's just me, but I doubt it. It's easy to praise Jesus and sing to his glory where we're in this place, when we're in the comfort of the like-minded. But it's harder when it doesn't feel as good. It's harder when I have to dig down, when I have to remember that Jesus said that I would have to pick up my cross and follow him, that I will have to die to things I want if I want to be his disciple. So here's one of the problems that I always have with the really familiar stories in the Bible. If you're someone who has been raised in the church, you have some of these stories that you have heard so many times that you almost can't hear them anymore. And obviously Christmas and Easter definitely lead the way in that. And I sometimes have a hard time getting into the story, um, getting, trying to get a real sense of the, what they call the passion of Jesus. And I confess that I have a moment where I think, Oh, well, he was God, <laughs> so he knew that there was going to be a happy ending. And so somehow his suffering counts less. But I've been confronted hard by my own need, my own need to keep face, to be seen well, not to disappoint, to be what people need me to be, to be the helper, the leader, the savior, which got me thinking about how awful it must have been for God, the one person who is the savior, who could fix it? 
to have to let it go, to look into those joyful, expectant faces who thought he was coming to release them, knowing that they would, in a few short days to come, be bitterly disappointed, and to feel that he had even betrayed them. At a point in my life of very deep humiliation and shame, a spiritual director <laughs> sent me off to ponder the passion of Christ. And as I walked away with my tiny eye roll, I was brought to my knees with the power of the humiliation and grief and betrayal and embarrassment that he must have felt. How hard it must have been for him to just let everyone in the world who he loved down hard. To see their confusion and their sense of betrayal, to see their hope in the future crashing down, to feel the shame of their scorn and revulsion, to watch them step away from him and leave him alone. And I bet he feels the same way now when he looks at we who continue to call out to him and ask him where he is and to feel disappointed and to feel confused and to feel let down. But he knew what was ahead and he did what had to be done. That meant holding his feet to the fire and accepting the immediate road of defeat and humiliation so that he could say, I know you. I know who you are. I know you are weak. I know you won't necessarily be the people you want to be. You won't necessarily bring your best self, and that's okay. And so the great news of this story, this Palm Sunday story, is that first of all, whatever the world looks like right now, when it looks like Jesus has disappointed us and abandoned us, he hasn't. He had us in his sights then, and he has us in his sights now. And he loves you. Even in light of all the less than great things you're probably going to do this very next week, this holy week. The moment where you will deny that you are his follower by word or omission, or you'll ignore him and carry on your days without a thought of his sacrifice, or you'll sleep in rather than get up a half an hour early to pray, he knows who you are. He knows what you do. He knows what you're about to do. And he loves you enough to die for you anyway. I'm going to end with a quote from Nadia Boltzweber, who I love. See, we are no different than the shouting crowds, those that do the right thing for the wrong reason or those that do the wrong thing for the right reason. There is no better class of improved people. There are just people. Because it had to happen like this. When the Pharisees told Jesus to stop his disciples from such an embarrassing display, he said that if he was going to stop them, even the stones would cry out. So there had to be crowds who shouted praise, and friends who betrayed, and followers who denied, and women who wept, and soldiers who mocked, and thieves who believed. It would have happened like this even if Jesus, the Jesus event were happening now instead of then. Even if we knew everything in advance, 
Were we the ones on the street, we too would shout Hosanna, and a few days later shout crucify him. And that's good news when it comes down to it. Because these people of the Holy Week story are us. And we are the likes of which God came to deliver. So go ahead. Don't wait until you think your motivations are correct. Don't worry about believing every line of the Apostles' Creed. Don't worry about coming to church this week for the right reasons. Just wave branches. Shout praise for the wrong reason. Eat a meal. Have your feet washed. Shout crucify him. Walk away when the cock crows. Because we as we are, and not some improved version of ourselves. We are who God knows and who he came to save. And nothing can stop what's going to happen. Ooh. Hosanna. <laughs> Hosanna to God in the highest. Welcome to Holy Week. Amen.